I see it. All right, we're live. Good deal. All right, All right Jeff Woods, Dr. Woods, back hey. in the house. Yeah. It's good to see you, man. I really, I was kind of bummed that I didn't get to see you much before. We were, we were yeah. trying to chart when you were leaving without asking you too much. And <laughs> we're going to like celebrate your last day here. But man, it's just, it was chaotic for me too with in-service and yeah, getting ready to go back to school. Yeah, we had a lot of stuff going on with the uh, governor's school, a lot of un unexpected things. And so it got pretty hectic towards the end there. Uh, we were having to pack and do all that stuff at the same time. So, yeah, I wish I got back in, but I'll be back. I'm going to hopefully I'll be able to drop in uh, like uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas time, stuff like that. Yeah, excellent. Well, yeah, definitely hit me up um, or anybody get in here and. Uh, see if you can get some rolling in. If uh, I'm sure you got plenty of stops to make too, though. So, um, yeah. Well, so I guess uh, we'll talk about routine uh, on the list. We're going to talk a lot about writing today. Uh, I just it's been something I wanted to sit down and talk with you about. We've cumulatively, yeah. personally talked about writing quite a bit over the years. But yeah, how's it been um, for you? Not in a in the sense of writing, but I mean, I'm a type of person that. I really enjoy routine. Uh, what's it been like being uh, your routine right now? You know, like getting thrown out of your routine, you're in this new routine, are we calling it a routine? Yeah, it's, uh, disruption is not good for writers. Um, you know, the, the, at least my experience has been that the, the best work that I do is like when you get really consistent. And so, you know, if, you've got your couple of hours, you know, at best three or four hours a day where you get to write, uh, then, you know, that's when you're, you're being productive. Um, I usually don't do a whole lot more than that. Um, I had, I did have times in my life where I would do like a, a morning session, an afternoon session. Um, but, uh, those were only usually, a couple of hours a piece because it's like uh you know it's like being in class you got to concentrate you got to <laughs> it's work you got to be there your brain's got to be into it otherwise it's completely unproductive you're just kind of spinning your wheel and so you've only got like a brief period of time a day where you're going to feel fresh enough to kind of do the work so you kind of need a routine you got to do it every day i mean it, like um when i'm really busy if i have an hour a day uh, that kind of keeps me going. Um, so like moving when I had administrative jobs that, that, that would sort of take me out of my routine. Um, that's, that's really difficult to write because, uh, you know, it's not just sort of getting words on the page and getting research done. It's like the coherence of your writing. Uh, you forget what you <laughs> were talking about and what you wrote the day before. And so if you have these gaps, you actually have to go back and read your own stuff again and figure out where you were, which is just an incredible waste of time. <laughs> but if you stay sort of consistent with it, then um, you can kind of keep up with yourself and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, routine for me, it's not for every writer. I think there are a lot of people that just like they can uh, they can take in all the information and they just they sit down for weeks at a time and just slam the things out. Um, that's never been the way I've done it. And it's never been the way I, I could do it. 
Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm a creature of habit, uh, by nature anyway. Uh, but especially when it comes to, to writing, I just, I, I gotta have that routine. What do you, uh, what do you think about this? And do you experience this? Because not necessarily with writing, but for me with like, let's say cultivating my martial arts, right. Whether it's, you know, assessing where I'm at, uh, lessons, like just looking through the techniques, like mapping out, watching videos, taking notes, looking at notes. Man, I hit these periods every year and it's like almost, it's almost cyclical. And I would say that what I experience is what people uh, metaphorically refer to as the muse. Like I have these periods each year where it's, it's writing, it's martial arts, then it's this. And it's like, it's almost like compartmentalized throughout the year to where um, I hit these times where like, okay, all I can do right now is Arkansas civil war. Like there's nothing else, you know? Yeah. Um, and I would just obsess over that for weeks. And then I'm like, well, I'll see you next year. It's yeah. weird. It's like that with my classes and my su like subjects. I've noted it. And, um, but I, a lot of people are chaotic like that. I would say it's kind of chaotic. Yeah. And, uh, I'm like that too. I think everybody is. It's, uh, for me, it's been, been a question of sort of, um, forcing your way through those things. And so I know just from years of, of, of doing this that I'm not always going to be inspired and I'm not always going to have good ideas and the crap that I put on the page isn't always going to be up to the standard that I want it to be. Uh, but I also know if I kind of continue to do it, the more often those inspired periods will come. Um, and I know they happen, uh, I know they're happening because um, they show up in my dreams. <laughs> uh, and so I, uh, I do a lot of my best analytical work when I'm asleep. Um, That's wild. Yeah. That is yeah. Wild. And I have to, and the stuff's going through my head and it's, it's horrible sleeping. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I'm a, I'm a bad sleeper anyway, but uh, you know, you're kind of half awake, kind of half asleep when you're doing it, but I'll wake up and I'll write that stuff down, get it out of my head and, and be able to go back to sleep. But that's where I pick up in the morning. Um, and I know I'm in kind of a good cycle when that's happening to me kind of naturally. And it doesn't happen all the time. It's like, you can't force it. It just kind of shows up. Right. Um, and yeah. so it's like, you know, you were, you were making the comparison to, to athletics. It's a, uh, you know, you hear about athletes talking about being in the zone um, and jujitsu athletes go through that for sure, where you're just having a period where everything's going right. You're anticipating everything. Everything's kind of slowed down. It's in slow motion. Um, you know what the next move is going to be. And it's not a struggle. It's just fluid. And um, you can kind of impose your will. And that zone is something that you have to train for, for, for years to, to get into. And you know it when it's happening. And you also know it's special when it's happening, because if, if I could make myself, if I could put myself in the zone all the time, you know, I'd be the world's best writer. I'd be the world's best jujitsu practitioner, whatever it is, but you can't. 
you know, and so what you have to train yourself to do is to make that happen more often, gain incremental control of the possibility of putting yourself in the zone, I think is probably the best way to put it. Uh, no, that's, th that is very interesting too. Um, because I mean, uh, here's a, here's an analogy, you know, I remember my very first jujitsu tournament, I was like, this is not like in the gym rolling in the gym. I'm like one of the top three guys. And this is not the same. Yeah, like yeah. it was just like the contrast of how hard it was to be in the same zone that I was in the gym where I was comfortable. Right. Mm -hmm. But then take like the activity that people such as yourself uh, engage in of lecturing. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I mean, your writing is good too. I've got two books over here. But imagine if your writing was, and, and it kind of is, but like you're lecturing, it's very relaxed, it's very chill, it's very informative. People like it. I've heard people other than myself comment on your style. I was thinking about you the other day because when I first started, I, I had a habit of talking too fast, hmm. which you don't do uh, at all. You like the opposite. But man, I've kind of noticed when I will, if I met, if I kind of uh, botch mid sentence and I pause, not even in factual stuff, just like, okay, I'm about to complete this sentence and it's not going to make grammatical sense. Mm -hmm. I will stop and think and I can turn it into something that will make sense instead of keeping going. And th this, those pauses, you know, when you're, I used to be in much more of a hurry and I would not pause. Uh, I would not be thinking through it. I'm like, it's written down out here. Like, listen, you know? Yeah. Uh, but that's kind of the same thing, that contrast of like, man, you know, we're in these states too. We're in the zone uh, in certain environments and places and times. And like, we can't cross perform when we yeah. really want. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, there's something about, unless you're just a, a super person, there's, a, <laughs> there's only a certain amount of energy that you have. Uh, and, you know, I think there's something about that zone, particularly with like intellectual activities or like what you're doing with this podcast, where, you know, when you've hit those like special moments, when you've got, you're, you're almost building ideas in the time that you're, you're, you're talking and there's a, there's a kind of intimate connection between the words and the ideas and the conceptions that you have in, in your head. Uh, and it's playing off somebody else and it's creating something unique and special and, and innovative. And um, that's, a, that's in classrooms or in podcasts like this, or in lectures or, or in performances really of any kind, that's kind of what you hope for. You're looking for that magic. I mean, I, I learned a lot from like when I was doing uh, the Dean thing, uh, I learned a lot from the people in, in music about that. And they're, they're, they're constantly sort of on this quest for uh, like jazz musicians, for instance they're looking for that moment. They're improvising, they're finding that. And, and every once in a while, you'll get something that's completely magic, right? And it doesn't happen all the time. You can't force it, 
you know, you can be there and you can kind of go through the routine, but it's kind of got to happen. Uh, but the fact that you're looking for it and the fact that you're kind of trying to make it happen, I think makes it more likely that it will. And so I think it applies to all kinds of things. I mean, you know, wherever you're putting your energy into, um, you're more likely to kind of get to that zone or have something special happen. It's, it's kind of what's disappointing with the way people do like day-to-day um, research about the world that they, they, they live in, you know? People will either read their newspaper or they'll see stuff on, uh, you know, their Facebook or Instagram or or those kinds of things. And they're trying to draw inspiration from that kind of stuff. And it's just it's too superficial. They'll never get there. You know, they'll never they might think they get fooled into thinking that they have that moment of inspiration. But it's not based on anything. It's not based on any depth. They haven't spent time with it. It's the hardest thing about writing. It's like, you know, my first book. It took 10 years to put that thing together. And was, was I, I meant to look this up, but it was the Richard Russell book or Black Struggle, Red Scare first? Black Struggle, Red Scare was the first one. And okay. it, it was uh, so I did part of it as like a master's thesis project and then uh, developed it into my Ph.D. dissertation and then uh, developed it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> developed it into uh into the book. But, you know, from the time that I first started researching that until the time that it was actually in print uh, was about 10 years. Uh, And it's, you know, uh, towards the end there, it was a lot of cleanup stuff, like the last year, uh, really two years, uh, was just kind of editing and and cleaning things up. And I'd already moved on to, to other stuff. But, um, but that's a long period of time. And you, you, you know, you build expertise by um, by doing the stuff every day and, and, and by reading everything that you could possibly get and finding the things that nobody else has and thinking about it for long periods of time and not drawing conclusions until, you know, you've been through everything that you could be, be through and, and, you know, not just sort of settling for, okay, there's, there's two interpretations on this that are competing with each other. No, man, there's a dozen. There's 15 <laughs> and you got to read everything <laughs> on all that stuff to, to, to have the confidence uh, to you know, put it out there. And that's kind of the, that's the craft. It's a, it's a long haul. And uh, you know, we always come back to jujitsu when we're ever talking about anything, but jujitsu is a martial art that's like that. You know, what's you, the time it's the time. Like when you said 10 years, I was like, what is it with, people like you when you decide to get your jiu-jitsu black belt you're like let's uh, let's undertake another decade-long goal like that's yeah, right that's rare for people to yeah. be that way yeah yeah and it, it's uh um i get like i get satisfaction from short-term things i'm always bouncing around to new hobbies and doing stuff like that but the real joy in life are, are those kind of long-term investments, I think they define you more as a person just because of the time and energy that you put into them. And uh, that's the way, you know, it, it's like um, people talk about having a calling sort of in life or, or professionally or however you want to, however you want to talk about that. And I think, you know, callings are those things that are longer term, 
where, okay, this is a part of you that you recognize and you want it to be part of who you are. And it's part of your, you know, you're willing to accept it as a positive part of your identity uh, rather than just, you know, a hobby or an experiment or something that I'm going through or something that just kind of gets me through my day. Uh, it's something that you want to kind of define you. And, and I think something like writing has to be that way, or it's, it's best when it's that way. Uh, it's, it's almost like you, you, you can't help, but, but do it. Um, cause even when I'm not writing, I'm still forming ideas in the way that I would, as if I'm writing, I'm trying to, you know, put together information in a way that is that lives up to kind of the craft of doing research and comparing ideas and using logic and uh, making sure okay, that I'm not I'm not wrong about things. So, well, okay. So this is a good uh, segue into this. How do you overcome? Think about uh, all the things that make people quit these long-term endeavors, like jujitsu. Or yeah. like, oh, I have a goal to write a book or an article or a thesis, yeah. um, whatever it may be. Uh, people quit when they, uh, for all varieties of reason, but one, uh, and, you know, maybe you can speak on this. And, and I think it's the reason people never get going is the imposter syndrome, the lack of confidence. Or you you start undertaking and like, man, I, I'll be, I thought this a second ago when you're talking, but like when you're an undergraduate. Like you're trying to, to grasp hold of these ideas and it's like grasping straws in a way like you're you're just so new at yeah. thinking critically and researching. And I mean, in many cases, I mean, from my side of the classroom now, and I know it varies from you know state and campus, but I mean, the skills that you're working with, um, yeah. you got to give them to them. You got to give them the skills that you want them to, to get out of your class with. Yeah, it, it's, uh, so I think people get, particularly with academics, I think they get expertise wrong. They think that being an expert is something that somebody is given or that it's just, you know, because you've reached this certain rank, right? You got these letters behind your name, like a belt <laughs> in jujitsu means that you're an expert. And that doesn't mean anything. Um, the real expertise is what other people tell you you are. And not just anybody, but the people who are experts in the thing that you want to do. It's when they tell you that, okay, you're, you're now an expert, or I respect you for these things that you've produced or these ideas and, uh, that, that, that you've generated or the research that you've done or the years that you put into it. And it's people that don't just take it for granted. They don't say, okay, you put in all of this time and effort, that means you're an expert. Not really. Not really. They got a test. All right. Did you, you know, did you read everything that you needed to read? Did you, uh, are your conclusions sound? 
do they, does your logic track, do the conclusions track with the evidence that you have? And it's other people who've had the time and take the time to look at your stuff and take it seriously and say, okay, yeah, you, you know, you did the rigorous thing. That's what peer review is all about. And that's where, that's where expertise comes from. That, that's, uh, that's when you know that you're right. You, you, you know, there's no fake in any of this stuff. You got to prove it. And that was always a great thing about jujitsu is that, you know, that, you know, I'm a black belt, but I'm not good at jujitsu. And, and you can really start saying that comfortably when you get a bite belt. I would say that. Yeah, too. man. I mean, I know, a lot, I know a lot of jujitsu. I know a lot of jujitsu. But, man, the, the people that are good at jujitsu will kick my ass. Uh, I mean, they will destroy me. Uh, and, but I know that because I, put myself out there. I understand that. And, you know, there's something about writing and about these long-term things where you start to, you know, you understand yourself. And so the imposter syndrome kind of thing, um, it's not a syndrome. When you're starting out, it's right. You're, you're an imposter. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know any other way to put it you know, you are, but if you put in the work and you put in the time and you get the feedback and you seek that feedback out and you get the peers that you respect who are experts in that field to acknowledge your work, then man, you're not an imposter anymore. Then you're the real deal, you know, and that's, that's really how it all all works. Well, and you know, people, uh, you know, Randy last night in his stoic way, because <laughs> every now and then I'll say, "You want to say anything, Randy?" You know, <laughs> just at the end, and he always pretty much says the same thing: keep showing up to class, don't give yeah. up. You know, and he's right, and, and that's so applicable to everything, man. Um, with like stuff that you want to do um that you see and are inspired by if you don't have those attributes like you know like hey i would have loved to have been a wide receiver in junior high but i couldn't catch the football you know like that would have been cool but i did i i did not have uh those attributes now i i do now right yeah. and through martial arts of, of doing that my entire adult life and then too i'm sure before that i developed some physical attributes but you know s some people already have those attributes and we constantly compare and look at that and like, why well, don't I have that? And yeah. it, it really ruins the journey, but it, but also offers, I think some, some perspective. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And it's, so it's like what we were talking about. Like, you know, the, the important things in your life are things that you're going to put energy into and you have control, you know, we don't have control over everything in our lives. Uh, but, you know, we do have control of where we put our energy. And, and if, if you're conscious of sort of feeding your own identity and, and, and the one that you want uh, to present to the world, then, you know, you're always doing a good thing by investing in those things and taking the time to do them and taking the time 
you know, to, to do them right and, and, and get the acknowledgement from others that, you know, Hey, you, you may know what you're, what you're talking about. And, um, I think there's always this danger of, of doubting yourself, but the doubt is good. Um, you, you can't let it, it's when the doubt starts to paralyze you. And it's when you start thinking, okay, this is impossible for myself. And so, you know, one of the things that I've always been afraid of, particularly um, with my kids and, and, and their generation and growing up on the internet and things like that, um, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on talent. And, you know, these people got to where they are because they're talented. Um, I'm not and never have been a huge believer in that. Uh, I know that there are people who are naturally talented at certain things. Um, you know, there are people that naturally run faster than other people. There are people that are naturally built bigger and taller <laughs> and, you know, have more strength and, and all of those kinds of things than other people. Um, but I honestly don't have a great deal of respect for those people, uh, unless, you know, it, it's like, if you've got those kind of talents and you've used them to be the world's best at something, then, you know, great. Cause if you're the world's best at something, you probably had to work really hard as well as base it on your talent. But most people like me, you know, I'm not particularly talented in any given thing, but um, I'm willing to work and I'm willing to work over long periods of time. And, you know, it's and I don't even claim to be the hardest worker in the world, but I, I am good at working consistently. I got endurance, I guess, is the, is the way to put it. And I know that I can overcome a lot of the things that I'm not talented in just by putting in the, the time. And I feel better as a person having gone through that struggle and that journey than if I was completely talented at something. I, I mean, I almost go, I tend to want to do the hard things because the hard things have the better payoff, you know? Yeah, they, they mean more. I mean, there's a, there's a, a more of an intrinsic value, I guess you could say. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to put a true value on it because, you yeah. know, the, it's hard to compare to other things. I mean, when you complete, and we've talked about this thing in past part, but when you complete a large project like this, uh, or like a writing a book or getting a black belt, it is a pretty deflating feeling too. Yeah. Well, and it, it's, uh, it's anticlimactic. Yeah. Um, it, it's what happens is like you spend your, you spend all of this time working on getting to this thing. And, you know, right before you get there, you're, you're, you're pretty excited, you know, and it seems like, okay, I just got to get through this last bit and you're pushing through and you're keeping your head down and you're also getting more and more humble if you're healthy, I think, <laughs> because then you start to say, all right, you know, do I deserve this? 
it's like it's like being randy right <laughs> randy's constantly doubting his he always thinks he's an imposter and he's not but he, he always thinks that he is but it's like the closer you get to your goal i think the healthier that is because you're starting to realize okay i'm accomplishing something really interesting here but it's limited and then what do i do after it's done you know is there is there another level is there something else i mean is there a new project you know it's uh <clears throat> it so it's kind of it's kind of deflating you you end up uh you end up mourning the project right it's like it's died you yeah. know that 10 years of my life that i put into this book or i put into this black belt is is gone and it's and it's dead and i got to mourn that for a while but then you know you got to birth something else <laughs> and i think the healthier people it's like um healthier people don't have that transition uh particularly as writers so like i didn't have any transition between my first and second book it just you know i started researching my second book while i was still editing my first book and so once the book got on my table i was like oh yeah that's cool slide it away we're done with that on the other one <laughs> you know what i mean and uh but then after the second one once i got you know i was in a in a place where i was i was helping i was doing some research with my dad and i was helping him with that stuff um and then i immediately got into administration after that and so there's been this gap and uh i've been trying to get back into writing over the last you know two years or so as a more routine kind of thing and uh it's been hard because i'm uh i'm a white belt again and i didn't make the transition right when i achieved the last thing and so it's like starting from scratch, right? It's like having that long period. It's like you were talking about having an injury, you know? You have that long period where you're off the mat and everything gets rusty and <laughs> you're trying to you're trying to just get back to where you were and get into the routine. And uh but there it's going to be easier cuz you got some familiarity with it. Um and it'll come back faster, but you got to put in the time, right? I think a lot of people quit because they just feel like they've been, a, they don't want to, that some, that first part, particularly after you've achieved something and somebody says, okay, has acknowledged for you, that was a good thing. Then going back and starting over and being, you know, the lowest person on the totem pole, and not having that respect and having to earn that again, that's really hard for people. And I think it's kind of that blue belt syndrome that you get with jujitsu. You know, people, they work for two years, they get to that blue belt, um, they start to feel good about their jujitsu a little bit. They're able to hold their own with people that they've respected. And uh, they kind of, um, they get that, that feeling of accomplishment. Uh, and then they stop because everything after that is so much more incremental, right? <laughs> you you don't get you don't get the feedback, right? You're you're not, it's harder the farther you go. 
And the more you feel like, you know, uh, I should be better than I am. Uh, and so I think people quit at blue belt because the rest of it's a grind, you know, yeah. and going back, going back to something that you're good at or something that you've built a craft on over time, that's a grind. You got to get through that and you got to be inspired by the, the kind of the little achievements, the, the, you know, the moments of epiphany, you know, those, those little creative moments that we were talking about before, you know, that's gotta be the thing. That's the quest, right? Create as many of those little things as you can. And then that, that's the only thing, at least for me, that, that gets me through that stuff, gets me through the grindy parts. Here's a, a thought. Um, I've been thinking about this a little bit lately because when I was 23, I, I took a layoff from my job at the in the car business, went back to college. That's when you and I got together. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I will say I was a little delayed. Like I finally was just like, fuck it, I'm going to be a historian, whatever that means. That's all I'm interested in. And and yeah. I never, and I constantly wonder this, and you, because of our, we, we've had some great conversations on like ego, but this, yeah. I figured you would, but I have some insight here. You know, some people close to me were like, what are you going to do with that? Yeah. And then the same, some of the same people with the martial arts. It's like, yeah, well, that, you know, it's never going to work. Uh, yeah. What are you really going to do? Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I've often wondered whether or not that propelled me to do what I did or hindered me. Because early on, I, it, you know, when I didn't have that confidence that I hadn't connected with uh, yourself, some of the academics that really did encourage my ideas, encourage me to yeah. pursue them uh, in history or with people like Caleb and Drang or, or, or whatever. Um, I, I've constantly wondered um you know, if because I the other day I, somebody was like, Oh, my kid wants to be a music producer the whole life, but you know, I just tell them plan B is what we need to work on, you know. And I'm like, Yeah, people used to sh say that to me, and look where I'm at. But then I got to thinking, I was like, Man, uh, I wonder which one's more beneficial because I, I just I wonder if people wouldn't have said those things to me if I would have really been like, Well, I'll show you, you know. It, so I don't know. I thought a lot about this. I mean, you know, uh, who was it? The remember the dirty jobs guy, Mike Rowe talks about, about this all the time yeah. that be, people would be better off just kind of, um, you know, instead of following their dreams, just, you know, do a job and do it well. And, uh, and, um, I think that really depends on who you are. And I think it really depends on the time in your life and the kind of uh, life that you want to make for yourself. And so um, I'm the kind of person that I, I wasn't going to be happy unless I was doing something that was uh, inspiring to me. Uh, I grew up in a, in a way where, um, you know, my parents were realistic with me, but they also uh, instilled a lot of confidence in me that, you know, 
if you put your mind to it, you, you can do anything you want to. And they, they both came from really, um, from uh, poor backgrounds and from tough backgrounds. And they, they had overcome a lot of, of where they were from. And so they were great evidence for me that that was a possibility. And so I think I, I, I just grew up thinking that that was something I could do, but they also told me that, you know, all of that comes from work. You know, it, it, it comes from putting your head down. You can choose what you want to do with your life. You can, you know, if you really want to be, if you really want to teach martial arts and own a gym, you can do that. If you really want to write books and be a historian and, and do that kind of stuff, you can do that. But don't pretend that it's not going to take work and that there's not a sacrifice. And the sacrifice, frankly, is, is, is money. And the sacrifice for some people is their relationships. And the sacrifice, you know, for other people is their addictions and their anxiety. And uh, so there are also people that they don't need all that stuff, right? They, 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 their, their tendencies towards addiction or anxiety or towards self-doubt or, you know, those kinds of things, um, they probably need to just have a job, <laughs> you know, and then find their satisfaction in life through other things. Because, you know, the, the one thing that a steady job, you know, you go work at a bank day to day and become a branch manager, at least, you know, okay, this is a nine to five job. Well, for banks, it's what, 10 to four job. <laughs> and then uh, you get to go home every day and you can have a family and you'll have a nice house and, you know, it, it's just going to be a good life, you know, a good middle-class life. And then you can get satisfaction from all kinds of other things. Um, but, you know, it's, it's what you're looking for. What I was looking for in my life was, like I said, that, that kind of, that inspiration, those little moments of epiphany that, that that's, that's what's always been interesting to me is like, you know, can I learn something new about the world? That, that sense of discovery is constantly there. And that's, that's why I'm always picking at stuff, right? New hobbies. That's why I did jujitsu. It's like, you know, rabbit holes. It's like you and I are always talking about rabbit holes. The, the rabbit hole thing, if you're serious about it and, and, and you really want to find the truth of stuff, is like that becomes a part of you and, and, and you'll pursue it um, regardless of the, the, the consequences. And uh, <laughs> which is is kind of dangerous, but you know, to get a PhD like I did at the time that I did, well, and even now it's the same way. It's a huge risk, right? Oh, especially now, especially now, right? Oh, it's a huge risk, man. I mean, because there's no guarantee. There is no guarantee that you will get a job. There's too many PhDs, too few jobs, and. Yeah. And there's no guarantee that you're actually going to be good at this because you could put in 10 years working on this stuff and 
it still may not be good enough, you know? And so it's like, but if you're willing to like not make a lot of money, you're willing to put in the time and, and do the grind and, and you understand that the payoff, no matter what it is, you know, is not going to be something material or, or physical. It's going to be about the journey and those little things that you get along the way. Then I think you get to the point where you're willing to take those risks. And the, the thing that I'm most afraid of is not having that. You know, I feel like I'm going to die if I don't have that thing that I'm trying to accomplish, if I'm not being inspired anymore, that's death to me. Well, that's you that know. feeling. I couldn't of, do it the other way. I couldn't that, do it. That's that feeling of achievement we're talking about, at least for me, because it's the absence of the feeling, unless like you are like, oh, I already started my next book. I'm not even thinking about that one anymore. But, yeah. you, know, you know, like there is this, you probably hit that moment of absence earlier is really like that's, but man, it For is, sure. uh, you get those moments where you're like, you're not in that pursuit and it's, it's almost scary. Like I, I remember, I, I, we may have talked about this. I bring it up uh, periodically, but I was like seeing my favorite band about to start lecturing, uh, get hired full time, uh, the gym, uh, we were in the last location, but it was like better than ever. We were starting to talk about something like this building and I was just like, oh, wow, I'm just so far past. I've achieved all my goals. I, I got my master's degree in my business. And then I was like, yeah, Shit. <laughs> what now? Like, yeah, what now? Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'll watch this widespread panic concert and go home and be sad about it. Like, I mean, you know, it was, yeah. it, but it was, I remember sit, we were sitting outside of the, like uh, the hotel or something about to walk mm -hmm. in. And I was sitting there thinking about that stuff. And I was like, what am I going to do? It was just this feeling yeah. of emptiness. Yeah. I remember you texting me about that. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it was, uh, but it's also like, th there are those periods too. I mean, and, and like I said, it's not just sort of who you are as a person. It's also a time of life. I mean, there's a time to just, like do the things that, you, that you're doing and you don't know what the next thing is and you just do the best you can. You just keep going with, with, with what you have, but you got to keep looking, you know? And what I also remember, Brian, is that it's about that time that you started investing in, in, in this kind of stuff, the podcast, doing extra things. You had already done listening to books. You had already done some of it and it started some of it, but you really double down on this kind of stuff and you start to develop it and, and you get better at it. And it's like, um, you know, what's interesting about uh, coming to the city uh, this year is seeing kind of like how your gym and the stuff that you do compares to what's going on uh, here in, in Washington. Um, and like the, the stuff that you contribute online and in social media and in connecting with their students um, is, is, a, is a rare thing, man. They don't have that kind of stuff here. They try, but they're not very good at it. And so, you know, you can tell 
that the stuff that you're doing is is like it, it's it just keeps getting it keeps getting better. Well, you know, like back to writing, you know, when I went to college through exposure to obviously uh, historical writing and in all of my classes and, and assignments, my thesis and senior seminar, all that. But um, really what I took away from like when I was walking away from from my college experience with a master's degree, I had by that time took me long enough. I had would say I'd learned how to learn. Like I, I knew, okay, I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be, uh, it's going to take some time and work, but we know how to do it now. And I felt like, you know, being 23, coming back in, that lack of confidence was really rooted in a lack of having the tools in place to be like, this is how you master information and topic. Like for me, I had to become, I mean, you know, I, I want to talk about audiobooks at some point because of how big of a game changer that's been for me and my learning style. You know, and then also how I can't read, listen to your book on audiobook because of where we're at, you know, like in the in the digital age. This is a, a, yeah. a conversation that, you know, really, honestly, at the time that you wrote your first book, how much of a consideration was audio? Well, were audiobooks. Yeah, it, it, I mean, they existed, but nobody was doing it. And it, it was and like I, I can't imagine doing a book now and not having an audiobook. I also, you know, the concept of a book is, I don't know, it, it's like they, they, books have their place and they're still the most efficient way of, you know, delivering certain ideas and, and, and crafts and things like that. But, uh, the way we deliver ideas is also changing. And I've always been open to sort of adapting to that kind of stuff. And I'm starting to think less about writing books than um, doing my craft and getting my ideas out there in the most effective way possible, whatever that is. You know, and, and you and I have had experience doing documentary films. We've had experience doing stuff online. Um, and, you know, I'm still pretty well convinced that in the future, you, you know, a book's not going to be this kind of just paper thing. I mean, it, it can be part of what you do, but there's also other ways to, to get stuff out there. And if you're really smart, you're finding the best way to do that. And so, but what, ha what doesn't change in all of that, I mean, at, at least for historians is the craft because the craft is, is, is still dedicated to the idea of becoming uh, an expert in the thing that you're talking about and, you know, reading everything that you possibly can, um, finding something that people are interested in, uh, and that you're interested in as well, because it's got to be both. It can't be just, you know, this completely this thing that you're only doing for yourself. Um, and that you can make a, a contribution to, you know, uh, particularly if you're an academic, that's that's the idea is you want to you want to push ideas, you want to push them into new places and you want to either give information or 
you know, a, an analytical framework that's different than, than what's come before. So it's all about originality. It's about innovation. And um, so you, you've got to, you can't just repeat stuff. I mean, people make that mistake with history and that, that, that's not what we do. Um, we're looking for new stuff all the time. We're looking for the next thing, how you make a contribution to the field. And um, that's the thing that should be the focus. And then how you deliver that to me is like, you know, there's a lot of interesting ways to do that, you know? So I've been thinking about things like, you know, videos and podcasts and, and documentaries and, and putting that kind of stuff together. I always have, I've just never, you know, been able to completely commit to it because our systems are still based like our publishing systems and our acknowledgement systems yeah. in academia are still based on what they were, you know, when I was in grad school and really when my dad was in grad school and everybody before that, it's still based on uh, the book or the journal. And um, you see bits and pieces of people experimenting with other stuff, but uh, they can't get, the, the peer review becomes difficult when you push into that territory because people aren't used to it. You know, uh, the people who have expertise have done it in this sort of book writing, this old book writing mode. And so that's what they're used to reviewing for you. So if you push outside of that, it makes them a little bit uncomfortable, but it may be time for something like that. Well, you know, so think uh, with academia, this is interesting. So, I mean, I, I feel, yeah, and one of the reasons I was like, man, I got to, I mean, you, yeah, you were teaching class, but I was like finding excuses to buy you these books in jujitsu for Christmas <laughs> presents and stuff, because dude, they're already becoming rare. No, no one is like, uh, you know, when I started out, even people were like, oh, yeah, jujitsu book, you know, the, the books were coming out. And then I remembered, like, I would start go to the super show. There wouldn't be any more books there. And um, the books that were there were, like, super discount. I remember one time I brought back, like, I, I remember carrying them on the plane with me, man, yeah, like yeah. a stack. I was like, oh, $60. Yeah. But, man, I can't remember the last time someone published a martial arts book like a, that I wanted to buy, like an Andre Galvao's Drill to Win or a Marcel's X-Card. Like, yeah. the, you know, that stuff's coming out in 09 through, like, 2015 in yeah. uh, a little bit before, too. But that's... Now, ebooks, you'll see ebooks on uh, member sites. Courses has become a popular way. But DVDs, man, that, that, that was like the transition. It's like, okay, all of your, the credibility of. So we had to get a DVD drive. Yeah. You can't even buy a computer that has one anymore. Yeah, yeah. But remember that, like, when we, when we started doing jujitsu, that was your road to credibility. It was making a DVD. Remember Hobson was doing right in the midst of his DVD stuff when yeah. we started, right? And that gave him his, his credibility as a professor, right? He was an internationally known athlete. He did accomplish so much, you know, five-time world champion, all that kind of stuff. But he wasn't a teacher and a coach yet. And so he had to start putting out DVDs. And then now that's morphed into like streaming, but they're still done. They're still basically DVDs, right? 
So like John Danner stuff is still, you know, it's a DVD it's, it's, format. It's DV, they're DVs, digital yeah. videos. Yeah. And so that's become, that's their book, right? Yeah. That's their contribution to the field. And I'm like, that, that, that seems much more natural for that craft than a book. Yeah. Well, you know, like great courses. So much more in video and jujitsu. Great courses has it kind of figured out. I've enjoyed great courses for a long time, but now yeah. they're doing a streaming service. You can it, before, and you still can't get the DVD of the video feed. You've got the audio book on Audible, and you've got a PDF of the ebook. You yeah. know, but like that's really I didn't notice this. You know, on the the Hickson Self Defense Unit website not the Hickson Academy, which is fantastic. But I didn't know that for the whole self-defense unit, there's six PDF workbooks and they're great. Like, yeah. I, and I downloaded them and put like uh, the masterclass website is another great example. Like uh, I just downloaded and clouded all of Tom Morello's um, lesson books, like the PDFs. But, yeah. you know, that's a kind of, but what, what, what is it? It's an ebook. I mean, if we're being yeah. like describing it, yeah, and, and those things like uh, for something like jujitsu or something like, uh, you know, learning the, to play the guitar or something, the audio and visual elements of those are, that's what it's about. Those are the most important things. And so it's kind of a natural that you would do it that way, right? Or it's like learning a language, you know, learning a language from, you can learn to read a language from books, but you can't really learn to speak a language from books. You actually have to go out there and speak and listen and, and, and do that kind of stuff day to day. And so it makes you wonder about like, what's the most appropriate delivery for the things that you talk about. And so for me, a lot of the times it's still writing. It's still the book because I talk about uh, concept, concepts. I talk about ideology. Like what goes on inside people's heads, why they make the decisions that they make, right? What is it that they're thinking? And now I could do a video on that, but it's not going to be nearly as complex or as intricate or as careful as I could deliver it if I was writing it. Because, you know, a lot of times with video and stuff, it'll go in one ear and out the other. Now, I could do incremental things. Like if I did a bunch of videos, mm -hmm. like uh, you did, uh, like, have you ever watched the uh, Smarter Every Day uh, YouTube channel? This guy, Dustin, I forget his last name. But anyway, no, I'll write it down. He's a, um, he's a scientist and he, he does, uh, basically, I think he's a weapon scientist <laughs> in Alabama. But he does these uh, shows and it's like, uh, did you ever watch Bill Nye, you know? Yeah. Uh, science guy kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. does that kind of thing. But he talks about like all these little engineering things or all these little science things that he's learning. And he does these videos on them and they're, they're very incremental, right? Or they're on very specific topics and they move on. And like you could do that and you could do that with concepts. But, you know, think about, like if you're trying to explain relativity theory to somebody, right? 
and you're trying to prove that you know what you talk about, you're talking about, uh, and give you the math and explain the concepts and doing that in a video mm. would work. <laughs> well, you know, and that that's the changing medium. So like, here's just thinking, listening to you is maybe the, maybe the book is the baseline. It's like the instruction manual for like how you're going to create the thing that came in the box, which is actually going to be a series of podcasts about what your book is about, where you yes. bring guests in or a, in an ebook companion, some blogs, maybe uh, yeah. a book review. Exactly. And one of the ways that I was thinking about it is, it, I mean, it's just like what you're talking about. It, it's like the book is the backbone. It's the craft. It's where you're showing your work, right? So footnotes, that's, that's showing you work. That's, that's okay. I've read all of this stuff. I've incorporated all of these ideas. That's where, you know, people know whether you know what you're talking about or not and where experts can go to see if you know what you're talking about. That's not going to reach a popular audience. That's not going to spread your ideas very well, but it's probably the best way to convince experts. But then you got to take that other step. What's going to capture an audience? or give them, you know, make a contribution to more people than the three people in the world who are also an expert in the thing that you're an expert in, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and you want to do both. And so it's like, uh, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson, for instance, right? He writes really scientific papers and he's, he's an academic. He's gotten away from that, but, you know, he, he was a hardcore academic, but now, he also goes on talk shows and he does podcasts and because that's where he's, he's going to get new audience. And he writes books that take that really hardcore scientific stuff and make it palatable, palatable for a popular audience. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that may be the kind of thing that would make an interesting project to me right now. It's like, okay, if I have the backbone of my project, right? This thing that I'm working on and I can show my work and do the academic parts of that, but then spend the time to also go beyond that and try to expose, you know, the basic ideas to a popular audience or, you know, give people who are interested, not in the kind of nitty gritty craft of it, at least, you know, some of the larger lessons that could apply to anybody. Um, that's probably better done through, you know, short videos or through, you know, uh, documentary kinds of things or podcasts or other kinds of projects like that. Well, just a, a mixed and varied multimedia approach, For sure. right? Like with what you're saying, like the book is the spine of what we're talking about. It's gonna, because it, it, man, really whether, I mean, when I go to do research, what I start doing, I start writing it down, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, the, in some form or another, uh, whether it's martial arts, whether it's uh, for I'm um, writing a new lecture, whatever. I mean, uh, just just taking notes for the, my settings on my 24 guitar pedals down here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, but you know, it's, it, it is remarkable how often if it's just a, if it's a bulleted list or it's hand jotted notes or, typed out bullet points sentences 
how much uh, writing we do that varies that, I mean, I, for a long time, I didn't take into come like, well, I'm not, you know, I'm sitting around not writing. Like I'm not writing like a, 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 a large scale uh, project, but I am writing things daily. And uh, man, my lectures, I, I, I really did go overboard on Arkansas civil war, 130, <laughs> 130 pages of notes on that one. Yeah, which may be too much, man. <laughs> but what we're doing in intro to Arkansas, you're damn straight it is. But, you know, it's, um, but here's the thing too, why I got, you know, why I have so much material is because, well, yeah, Dr. DeBlack, he's got a great book over here with fire and sword. Yeah, but, right. it, you know, really there have been a lot of what we just mentioned produced. It is amazing how many resources from lectures that are kind of like a screen share like this, we're reading primary sources by the uh, one of the guys from Conway, Mark Christ. He has done mm -hmm. some amazing stuff. Um, but just you know, documentaries. There's there's Dwight turned me on to some new documentary. Sent me some rare one from ASU in the mail, and it's it's really like you start seeing where these people and this uh, Jack Hill guy had a production company, uh, and how much stuff that guy made. And I mean, this was in the nineties in early 2000s yeah it, uh i think you know the key for me is like being aware being intentional about your communication and being intentional about what the best way to communicate something is and i still believe in traditional writing and that process for complex ideas um but i think it's probably not you know, those complex ideas are, are going to have a kind of limited interest for people. But there are pieces of those ideas that I think are, are much more universal that could connect to a lot of people. And the idea is, right, how do you figure out what's the best way to do that kind of stuff? And I think what you're finding with your lectures is that, all right, you're becoming an expert because you continue to add to this stuff, right? You're continuing to learn more and more. You're filling out the ideas, but you're also faced with this idea that, you know, your classes, your lectures, they're much more like a video. You know, yeah. it's, not, it's, it's not a book because it's, it's like, you can't, you can't show all your work. You don't have enough time. A hundred percent, man. Like I, I went through, you know, it's weird. Uh, this is a, this is the first year, uh, this semester, this like, like yesterday, I almost text core about this first. So it'd be the first time I talked about it. Yesterday is the first time I took notes to class with me, but did not use them. Oh yeah. Right. Like I was, I, I know, man. And I was like talking about so much more stuff that was in the notes than was in the notes. But I feel like it would have taken me longer to read through. The, and I, there was like a little bit where I was like, oh, I covered all that. Like, uh, yeah. all right. We're, you know, we're like, I literally, I had a PowerPoint, but like the PowerPoints for me is kind of a blend between how like you would do some in your upper level course side, you into black, like it's pictures of people and some key terms, like, yeah. And it's really just a cue for me to keep talking about yeah. that in that order. Um, but man, that was weird. I was like, Oh, I have given this lecture like 10 times now, I guess. Yeah. So it, it's like, um, my dad used to call it working without a rope. Uh, and, and so, and he, he never, uh, for the last, I mean, 
honestly, for the last 40 years, my dad never works for the road. Uh, and so he, he never brings notes to anything. Uh, he'll read his notes before he goes in there just to kind of refresh his memory. But he doesn't, you know, there's no safety nets. There's no ropes for him. And he does it that way because I think he finds it more, um, it makes him better. He has to, uh, he, he has to think about what he says. It's more of a challenge. Um, he's got to make sure that he's right. Um, you know, and he's got to sort of, uh, he's got to absorb all of this stuff uh, and able to be able to put it back out there. And, and so it's, uh, you know, it's exciting to him. I do it every once in a while, um, but I'm too, uh, I'm too scattered uh, and I lose track and it makes me uh, freeze up. And so uh, he's gotten used to not freezing up. He just keeps going, right? And he finds a way to do that. My greatest fear is that, you know, uh, I freeze up and I lose my place. But I'm also, I think some of the stuff that, that I do in, in classes, I try, I strive for more complex ideas uh, and stuff that sort of pushes my own limits in explaining it. And so I feel like I need to have the notes there so that I don't get lost <laughs> in trying to explain the complexity of something. And, and so it's, a, uh, it's an interesting thing to kind of play with, you know, and, and working, you know, working without a rope or working without a net is, uh, you know, it, it can be an amazing way to do it. And it's, uh, uh, it, but it's it's something you got to develop, right? You got to practice that because yeah, I mean not, it is. I've been doing this forever, and I still and I I'm I'm enough of a realist to realize that you know I'm not at my best when I'm doing that. Um, my dad is. He absolutely is. He can do it without thinking about it. I, yeah, I wondered. I was like driving in the car home. I was like, I wonder what what's the level of that? Like, I, because I'm like. I mean, it, I, I kind of feel like maybe through the production of all of these types of uh, different meat, you know, different little pieces of content. And I've thought this several times we've been talking, you know, what the martial arts industry really needs is a learning management system hmm. to put everything like, yeah, people make member websites. But like, man, I've never seen anybody's site like Marcelo was an exception on like amazing, but. Yeah. It was all encompassing that was for the industry, not just an art that, uh, you know, served a function like Blackboard. You can put anything on there. You can link things. You can build modules. Yeah. I mean, and it's just, uh, it's just already there. Like we have software to do, you know, uh, to, to do all these things, to create ebooks or to, yeah. um, but like for somebody bringing it all into one place. And I mean, I think not being able to uh, build a website or pay somebody to run one for you is uh, what this, uh, you know, cuts a lot of people for getting their ideas out there. I mean, really a yeah. website is a really good website is the best way probably. Yeah. To, I know. To go meet an audience. Yeah, a tool to make it easy. And there are tools that are out there. I just don't think that there's any, there's not a whole lot that's standardized for uh, like jujitsu. You know, I, I think one of the good things, and 
and there's not a central archive, which is, um, which would be an amazing thing as kind of a martial arts archive uh, for everything, you know, trying to record everything that you possibly could for any kind of martial arts and put it in a single place and, and have that kind of stuff. That would, that would be remarkable, but. Well, like a journal, like what we're talking, we're talking about a, like a, yeah. a, a EBSCO or a JSTOR for yeah. other, other industries. Yes. Um, but it would also have to mean that like the economics would have to change. And so, you know, the, the thing with academic stuff is that it's, uh, it's public domain and it's meant for a public domain. Um, the trouble is with people with the videos and things like that, they're trying to make money off of it. Uh, and so, but there's going to be a period of time where all of those old things stop making money, but you'll still want access to them. You'll still want to be able to see them. You know, it's like we're, you and I are constantly going back and trying to look at like old judo videos and crap like that, you know, from the turn of the century. Yeah. And, you know, having a place that, that had all of that stuff would be kind of uh, kind of amazing or, or like, you know, even like uh, Bernardo Farias stuff Ooh. and JJ yeah. Fanatics and, and having all of it. It's like, man, Bernardo, what are you going to do with all that stuff? When it stops making money. Imagine the servers that he has to have to store all that. I, I've been downloading on clouding all of my BJJ Fanatics, the dynamic striking videos. And we're at like 300 gigs right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and it needs to be preserved. That's like, that's some golden knowledge <laughs> in, in all of that stuff. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, as a historian, you know, your, your basic instinct is like, all right, we got to keep all There's so much good stuff there. We got to keep all this stuff. We got to find a way to, to keep that for people that come in the future. Well, and, and back to writing, I mean, is preserving it in the way that Bernardo's doing. I mean, I think about this all the time. You know what? I talked about cuneiform today and we still have that stuff. Yeah, you know, we can still look at, you know, uh, a few years back, they opened up the Rosetta Stone. They're like, you know what, Brian and Jeff, you get to touch it. You, everybody gets to touch it. It's not going to hurt it. You to just touch it, you know? And it's like, we can't touch a jujitsu video. Like, yeah. like we could touch DVDs, but those things rot over time, you know? So it's like uh, with writing, I think about that all the time because I get, you know, it's the prehistory lectures. I just finished those and it's like... Well, the time before written records, the time before writing, that was a real troublesome time for us historians. We don't uh, really like this time as much because we we have to guess and talk to geologists who know way more than us about rocks. And what, what's this rock mean? You know, yeah. and it's but like once you get writing, you still should talk to the geologist. But it, it changes the whole game. And we're in a time where it's like. Yeah, digital mediums, but uh, what about in a, an event like the New Madrid earthquake for our region? Like another event like that where you have four cata cataclysmic earthquakes across six months. Like what's that going to do to our infrastructure? We're not even going to be able to do this for yeah. weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what's the best way? So, and the technology changes so quickly. So you were talking about needing to get a special DVD player because they don't sell DVD players anymore. Right. So there are, um, it's actually an interesting ar archival experiment. I, I forget which, 
uh, library it is in, in New York. Um, but there's a, there's a museum that deals with uh, kind of modern technology. And, and one of their goals is to preserve all of the players, uh, all of the, you know, different Ooh. kinds of technology that you use to collect information and, and put out information. And so they've got like old zip drives and they've got old floppy disk drives and they, uh, part of their purpose is to keep that stuff available and running and in a decent condition so that you can go back and do it. it it's like, uh, we talked about it uh, a, a little bit uh, when, uh, I don't know if you ever took the, the class where we talked about uh, presidential recordings. Um, so 40, 45 to president, or was that like an actual, we may have done a little bit in there. I think I, I did some specialized classes and stuff like that too, but basically like there have been presidential recordings, uh, of what presidents have been doing in the white house since, uh, since FDR <laughs> and actually before him, uh, there were some, but they're just, there's not a lot of them. FDR, the, LB, the LBJ tapes are the main ones that we like to listen to. LBJ <laughs> tapes are the main. And think about it. Th those, those were on tape. They digitized those. Okay. But they had to go out and get the tapes and have a tape player to be able to get that in a digital form. Yeah. Eisenhower used these wax discs. Uh, they used to have this system where it, it, it actually carved the like a record as you were speaking into the dictaphone wow and so they had to convert all those wax discs to what would that have been the 50s yeah or earlier for late 40s 50s so they they, they converted that to tape and then and then uh fdr's dictaphone uh was even you know a, a kind of more uh, rudimentary form of, of that. And so keeping that technology to get the access to that kind of information is like a really important thing now. And I, I don't think, you know, we have not come to the grip as a, as a global community. We have not come to grips with the idea that we are experiencing a communication revolution on a scale that's probably bigger and more important than the printing press. You know, the, the, the printing press created the Reformation, it created wars, it created empire, it contributed to the enlightenment. We have no idea what our change to digital communication is. We have no idea what that's doing to us as, as a people. And we don't have systems yet in place to archive all of that stuff, you know? Uh, so I think we're at a really unique period in history to have to think about that kind of stuff and, and, and work with it. Yeah, no, I mean, we went from, uh, like I, I mentioned this in my uh, class this morning, a flash drive when I started was $40 for 512 megabytes. Go, yeah, go ahead and say Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're <laughs> my fine, dude. You're, hello, tell her I said, hey. <laughs> Yeah, I was just trying to tell her that we, we were on the podcast. So, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Excellent. But, well, okay, so, like, when I was um, 
like right out of high school. So I was 19. So it's been like 06. I bought a 512 megabyte flash drive. It was 40 bucks. Yeah. It's yeah. like we've gone from that to me easily being able to dump 100 gigs worth of stuff in my cloud in 20 minutes at the, oh. at the university yesterday. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it, from like, I mean, trying to, I mean, I think about like, okay, that same time, that same time I was buying that flash drive, the iPhone came out. Yeah. Like the same, the same exact time. Like it was that summer between my senior year and, and freshman, like when I like first went to college. And the amount of technological innovation from those little bitty flash drives, which were expensive. Like I remember being like 40 bucks. Yeah. Oh man. Then I, I bought like a, 74 gig like a few years later for like considerably less money you know mm -hmm. but it's like but why, why was i buying that to store my papers oh i can get i think i bought like a, a 30 gig thumb drive the other day for 16 bucks oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know it, it was and it's just kind of remarkable how much and What's interesting too about that, I mean, if, if you think about the preservation of information, like with video and audio and stuff like that, it takes so much more uh, digital power, and it takes it, it, it takes so much, you know, more compression to get that stuff together. And so, you know, we've had this greater and greater need for storage space, but we keep getting better at it. I mean, it, you know, yeah. we're, we're at a point where like storage is not necessarily our biggest limitation anymore. Um, it is for some things, but, but not for everything. Uh, but like with a book, like digitizing a book, I don't, I mean, even my incredibly over processed word processed um, document, you know, we're talking about it's it's like what a tenth of a megabyte. It's nothing. I mean, it, it, and really, I don't know why, but the videos I'm cranking out are like uh, they're not as big as they used to be. It seems like the videos yeah. I'm downloading from BJJ Fanatics or whatever, like the file sizes are not as big as they were five yeah, years. Yeah, the compression gets better and better. But it's it's also an interesting thing about books or writing that you can put in some ways, much more complex information into a smaller space than you can with video or audio. Think about that. Yeah. Now, is there a place for that? And has anybody ever really considered that as a yeah, value that's... of the traditional writing craft? And I'm not sure. Well, that yeah. yeah. Think is, about a, a library, how much sp physical space, uh, phys an actual like a library of Alexander, 750,000 books or yeah. uh, any any major library in New York or D.C. or wherever is going to be massive. But we can't yeah. like, man, there's like one bookstore I know where to go to in Conway that I, I stop in periodically. Like we don't even have bookstores anymore. Really. Yeah, but you could like but you can digitize that library where you've had all of that space. You know, and you've used all that space and all those books and stuff. You can digitize all of that and you can fit it in a file that's probably as big as like, you know, three or four movies. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so you can get it's incredibly efficient to put writing, to put words 
the written word into digital form. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's a value in that in, in, in the future. Um, it, it's, it, it, it's something interesting to think about. So that, you know, so I guess what I'm saying is that I haven't abandoned the idea of writing. I haven't abandoned the idea of words as communication. Um, I don't think human beings have, have gotten anywhere close to getting past that. I think they're, they're much more able to augment that these days and to express themselves in, you know, in ways that might appeal to other people or connect to other people better. Um, but I don't think any of that has transplanted the, the written word yet, because the written word is still extremely efficient and it's also our main way of communicating. Now, if we get to a point where, you know, we've got uh, telepathy and, and crap like that, maybe you don't need to do a link. <laughs> exactly. If you can neural links, but even neural link stuff, right? That's going to be based on digital files, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, and, and digital files are, you know, the, the, the process, you know, our, the computers were made for words, you know, that's that the, when Alan Turing was doing his Colossus machine, they were translating, you know, uh, they were translating codes from, from German. They were words. Uh, well, so yeah, I mean, think of too machine. Like human beings were perhaps made for words, right? Well, of course. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean because this is all the, the, everything we're discussing is the efforts of, of man. And really like, if you just talked about technology to convey, uh, words or ideas, but you know, I was talking about, uh, a philological approach to studying history earlier. Like, right. oh, hey, this pharaoh's name is Montu Hotep. That means the war gods pleased. The Egyptians never lost a battle. On, on the record, they did not, right? But this name, since they never reported losses, it can tell us something, right? But like how we work with words, like not just linguistically, like a linguist, but uh, very interesting. Like I've been thinking like, okay, like, words like when you start talking about that earliest prehistory like around fire uh and then you like these people they might have had speech and we yeah. just like that's a sentence in a book and like my next favorite bullshit sentence is and then they domesticated plants and animals <laughs> yeah right yeah well while well, we're in this three paragraph section about a hundred thousand years of history you know yeah well and you know uh I'm going to steal from one of my favorite authors, a guy named Scott Mamaday. But the, you know, the first, uh, the first words in the in the Bible are in the be in the beginning was the word. I just <laughs> thought of that. You know what I mean? It, it's like it's, and what that suggests is that it's it's the idea, it's the communication that we are about, and you know, we are about explaining ourselves. That's kind of you know from my sort of cosmological perspective that's what we're here for is to you know try to explain why we're here <laughs> and 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 try to make the the place where we live a, a little bit better for each other and uh and that that kind of pursuit gets to that fundamental stuff that you know we were talking about earlier and what you're willing to make sacrifices for and, and what drives you and pushes you through sort of these long-term things. Um, that's what uh, 
that's kind of what I'm expressing in, in, in all of that. I, I, I'm a big believer in human communication and I'm a big believer in, in stories and that we need to tell truthful stories about ourselves. I think that's where self-discovery comes from. I think that's where, you know, human progress comes from. And I, I think that's how we get to a place where, you know, maybe we can be a little bit better than we were, than we were yesterday. And, and so, you know, those stories are, are really, uh, are really important, you know, um, and we, we tell a lot of sad stories about ourselves these days. And I contribute to that because I'm drawn to that. I, I want to know what's inside people's heads, uh, particularly people that I don't understand yeah. and I don't, I don't agree with. Uh, so it's an act of, of empathy, and I, but it's also done very much from a place of skepticism. Uh, and, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's where understanding comes from for me. That's, that's how I, you know, that's how I feel like I can make the world a better place is sort of, okay, can I get people who don't understand each other to understand each other a little bit more? And does that make, you know, does that, I'm hoping that that's what makes us better. That's sort of my, that's one of the belief systems that I've had since I was, I was little. Yeah, no, that's, um, you know, I had this thought just recently, but like how much of what we're talking about this, this uh, feeling a, a need to communicate and create through writing or uh, it's almost inherently linked to, you know, particularly you get into institutional self religion or, but the human beings attempt to, ex to grapple uh, with these uh, is, is an infinite being or I'm sorry, a finite being grappling with infinite concepts, right? Yeah. Like a lot of our production, a lot of what we're creating is an attempt to kind of explore and come to terms with or try and wrap our finite mind around an infinite like relativity or yeah, string theory or, or whatever. Yeah. An afterlife. Yeah. Or even just, the, you know, the basic things like, you know, one of the things that I think historians do and the reason it's it, it, it's it's kind of worth doing is that it helps us acknowledge that our, our stories aren't um, they're not isolated. You know, it brings out our connections to each other and that the things that affect us now, you know, like uh, they are both from the individual choices that we make, but also the choices that the societies and cultures that we live in make. And so we are, we are victims of history and we are culpable for our history, whether we want to be or not. Man, you know, I, we just North are. Korea got me thinking about what you just said a ton lately. Yeah. People being born into that, um, that uh, Yomini Pak, uh, I think is her name that was on Joe's recently. Yeah, and I've seen yeah. some of her stuff, but like the whole, how they are like, okay, Kim and his dad are Jesus and God. Okay. So just the Christianity story, but in the sense, and like people are born into that and like her comments when she, the Christians are like, look, you just, we can get you out of here, yeah. but you got to believe it. She's like, well, how, how am I going to remember this? And they're like, it's the same story as Kim and his dad. 
Yeah. So, but and she's like, well, how do I know you're telling me the truth? And she's yeah. like, you don't like, you just got to trust us. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it's like, you know, it's like all this uh, stuff about like race lately, you know? And uh, it's, you know, you don't have to feel individually culpable for racism if you're not a racist and that's not something that that that's part of your makeup and who you are but you do have to acknowledge that we got race problems in the country and we've had them you know for a long time and it's based on you know things like slavery and that's we're not you know you got to accept the idea that we may never get over that Right. We may never be past that. And so, you know, how do you deal with it? And as a historian, all you, you know, the best you can hope for is that you acknowledge that that is a truth, that that stuff happened. And, you know, then how you deal with it changes over time. It depends on kind of, you know, where you are and, and, and what you need to do. And, you know, so we go through, uh, you end slavery and you go through a civil rights movement and then, you know, you struggle with all the current stuff that we're struggling with now. And, you know, you hope through understanding that all of that stuff gets better. Um, but the thing that I worry about is like, you know, the, the, the thing that's anathema to being a historian is this idea that, that you don't get to talk about that or that we're past that. You know, we're not past anything. I mean, you know as well as I do, we're we're still dealing with some of the same kind of stuff that that the Egyptians were dealing with. Well, we're and it's not where I wouldn't say we're close to forgetting it, but it that's the you know any any historian it, that's one of their paranoias that that uh, an event like the Holocaust right. or or like slavery falls out of the collective memory in some way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it, it needs to be. Um, it doesn't have to be ever president present. It doesn't have to, you know, it, it doesn't have to, you know, inform every part of your living daily identity, but man, you sure better know it's there. You sure better know the dangers of repeating that stuff, you know, because uh, if if you don't, if you don't think about it sometimes, then, you know, we're back to like everything that, that, that the country's formed on and, you know, individual liberty and, and the protection of those rights and things like that. You just throw that crap out the window, you know. Um, so that, that struggle, that burden, that anxiety over those kinds of historical issues. I think are important, they're necessary so that people can can maintain their 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 freedoms. <laughs> you know well, you know, you know, for me, and I mean I think you kind of mentioned this a second ago, awareness of of some of these things, you know, with past events in our recent history, not 2020, but they're what make you, you know, learning about them, whether you're reading you know, researching, writing, 
are what make you empathetic, but also I think what, uh, for me, it's been a sense that, okay, I read these books and I had these conversations with these people who read these books and I found out this information and you didn't read any books about it. And I, I become highly empathetic about this, I, you know, and, uh, it just becomes your reality and you talk to people about it and they don't want to hear it. Didn't, didn't read the books, but that's not the reality. And I think that kind of goes into, I mean, people call it, uh, I guess white guilt, but it's like, no, you know, not enough people care about this for me. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like, like reading about these topics, reading about Elaine, reading about, yeah. you, there's a sentence in my Arkansas history textbook that says when, when white people and poor people could no longer vote, political violence in Arkansas came to an end. Like, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's stuff like that, 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 you know, and you, you, when you go through that, you realize how close we are to, to something like that just taking place or that it took place in the not too distant past. And, and you carry around these sort of anxieties and so much, like so many of our uh, fellow Americans seem oblivious to it. Not only that, they don't want to hear about it. Like they didn't put yeah. in the work on it, but also are not going to, and your work it's not something we're going to bring up. You know, it's just a real weird, uh, and it's hard to not like, I mean, I just kind of like, okay, yeah, well, let's not argue about it anymore. Uh, I tried like a, a lot and you guys don't accept it. So if you have questions, let me know. Well, and it creates that situation like, you know, and I, we were talking earlier, I was saying that one of the things that I'm, I'm most afraid of is not understanding the reality of the world that I live in, you know, and, and stop trying to discover that. So on the one hand, um, turning off the possibility of studying anything, I don't care what it is to me, it's death. I, I, it, it's just not in me. Um, but the, the other part of that is, is, is is that I know through writing books, through you know putting in thirteen years in jujitsu, that I have to prove what's real, um, and you know part of that journey, particularly in jujitsu, is that you know you learn so much and you get you get better at jujitsu really fast and you continue to learn over years and you get better and better at it um but the reality is you can get to uh you can put in all of those years and there's still a whole bunch of people that can kick your ass that is real that's undeniable and if I'm not pursuing that reality, if I don't understand that as a truth, that's the that's another part of me dying. And so acknowledgement of something like the struggles of history, the bad crap that we've gone through, the evils that we've done to each other as human beings, and taking responsibility that I am 
maybe not individually responsible for all of that, but I am in a line of people. I'm connected to people who are. And therefore, I have a historical responsibility. I've got a social responsibility that transcends my lifetime, right? I have to acknowledge that in order to acknowledge that's the real world. That's, you know, that's the fight that I'm not going to win. And that's truth to me. You know, that's a better understanding. And I, I think I'll be a better person for that understanding. Uh, and I think other people will be better for that understanding. And maybe that's the root of the whole thing. You know, that's why we try to share ideas. That's why we try to take the time because not everybody's taking the time to do it. Right. But that's our job. We take the time to, to try to figure it out and to try to share it with other people. And, you know, maybe they, maybe they listen, maybe they don't, you know, but uh, I think part of the job is to try to, um, try to find ways that, that, that people will listen um, yeah. and yeah, continue to evolve in, in how we do that. For sure. For sure. Well, man. Um, so let me wrap up with this. Um, just generally speaking uh, for people in the audience, uh, you, you and I've had so many of uh, like little uh, in the, I like you worked a lot. I sent you some things I thought we might would talk about. I feel like you worked it, worked the vast majority of it into this conversation because I mean, well, it's, you know, it's, it's we're talking about writing, but um, what are some things you might say to somebody that is just getting into writing? Like, you know, I know um, yeah. Micah Piker here at the gym, like he's been yeah. writing and have been interested and talked with me about it. But for people like that, that, you know, they might not have a, a strong English background. I know your undergrad yeah. is in English or, or a historical background, but, they want to write like what, what sort of tips or strategies do you have for them? Yeah. They, um, yeah. This part of it's easy. Uh, writers read and writers write. Um, it's as simple as that. So if you want to write something, it's probably because you were inspired by somebody else's writing. So, you know, the easiest thing that you can do is go read their stuff and figure out how they put it together. Right. Become an expert in, in how they communicated their ideas. Um, and, you know, if you've got a certain topic that you're interested in, you know, you start gathering as, you, you know, uh, gathering as much stuff as you can. And then you wallow in that stuff. You, you know, you get in there and you think about it, right? It's that, <laughs> got that analogy from Dr. Gaywood where you, you, you got to wallow in the, in the mud a little bit. And that, that's basically just get all that stuff that you've been doing research on and, and sit there and, and think about it. Like, what does it mean? What are the possibilities for this? Um, and then you write. Writers write. Like, you need to write something every day. And it doesn't have to be a lot. Like, I think I wrote, um, well, I wrote a bunch of stuff today, but it was not like uh, writing for uh, my books. It was writing for other kinds of stuff that I have to do. But uh, I write for the books that I'm trying to produce every day, but sometimes it's like a paragraph, you know? I think I, I wrote a few sentences I, I, today. I, I came up with some theses that I want to follow, but on a day like that, where I know it's not going to be real productive because I don't have a lot of stuff that's feeding into, you know, a, a longer writing session, 
The rest of the time, I'm reading stuff. I'm looking for that next idea. I'm preparing for that next paragraph. I'm preparing for that next page. You know, good writers, best writers in the world write a page a day. That's, that's pretty much it. Now, it may take them <laughs> four hours to do it, <laughs> but they write a page a day. And if you set that out, you know, uh, and Brian, you and I have talked about this, that, that like, if, you know, you take out, a, you take out weekends of your year and vacations and other days, you still got 200, 250 pages of material at the end of a single year. It's a ton. It's a great start. And how many years did you ride in your car since you've been a professor? Like, oh four, man, like four. Was, yeah, we. <laughs> it was a lot. It was. Oh, it, was it was like five years or something. Yeah. Uh, and, well, that's so, audio yeah. books, man. That's why. Listening like, to books, exactly. It's oh. huge. Yeah, and so I've started to double up. So what I do now is like, uh, I will listen to a book. And then uh, I will buy the book, the hard or Kindle, copy. or okay, yeah. No, the hard copy for my research, and so that way I have the footnotes and all that kind of stuff. It's a hit if it's a history book, and I can use it as reference. But if I'm like uh, reading the book uh, these days, I'd much rather listen to it, like in the car or when I'm running or doing something like that. Mm-hmm. I tend to just, you know, I still love to read. But um, that's become a more efficient way for me to absorb the general ideas. And then I go back and I read more for like specific things. You know, I I need to pluck this out or I'm going to borrow this idea or, you know, uh, I'm going to use this as part of my research. And then I'll go back and that's where I do kind of the the heavy reading. But the general stuff, I kind of I want to listen to the whole thing. You know, I just want to kind of listen. And I just got I just got into Kindle and doing what you're yeah, saying, but Kindle's listening really too. Yeah. Listening if there's audio, like it'll do the screen reader, but some of them I'll have the audible and then be reading the digital, right? Yeah. Which yeah. is uh, just for short stuff. Like honestly, if I'm just trying to work through a section in a chapter, yeah, that's perfect. Uh, but yeah, that is like uh doubling up as you just yeah, yeah. there's and several I- ways you can do that. Exactly. And I buy the books for citations and footnotes, but most of the stuff, you know, there's so much stuff you can get digitally now. And there's so many which different ways to consume it. it, it, it it's kind of great. But anyway, the big advice, you know, uh, writers read and writers write. That's <laughs> and you do That's it every day. And, and you just you, you build towards these general ideas and then you got to be, um, you know, be willing to change. Um, so when you find out something's not true or you find out your initial thesis is wrong, uh, you, you got to be scientific. You can't be tied to your original ideas. You got to be willing to, to, to go where the evidence leads you. And you got to be honest enough to do that. And, and so, uh, you know, overcoming that, that sort of personal bias about things is incredibly important, at least for the kind of stuff that, that we do as historians, maybe not for other kinds of writing, but for what we do, it's, it's everything. Yeah. Um, and then I think the, the, the one other um, thing that, that I would I would say is um, 
when you get writer's block or when you start to kind of doubt yourself, uh, you just plow through. Just give yourself a break. Just put something on paper. Just keep working at it. Uh, it'll come around. Human beings are amazing. You know, there's, again, I don't think necessarily writing takes a lot of, it, it, it takes a lot of knowledge and it takes a lot of endurance, but you don't have to be the brightest person in the world. You don't have to be the person with the biggest vocabulary. You got to be willing to develop those things, right? And get better at those things. But with enough time, you'll get there. So there's no reason to kind of like, the only reason it won't happen, it's like, like a black belt in jujitsu. The only reason it won't happen is because you quit. It's the only reason, you know? We, thank you, thank you for Randy. Yeah, human beings are meant to communicate, man. So everybody can do it. You just gotta, you just gotta keep plugging at it. Yeah, yeah. true that, man. That is the perseverance. That's why like, uh, I'm always trying to relate to people the tenets of the life skills that people equate with martial arts. And I mean, perseverance, like that's oh, so much of what we talked about today is just persevering through the, the self doubt and the, yeah. the anxieties and the steering a different direction. And yeah. And, and living poor for a little while or, <laughs> you know, or uh, yeah. Putting your time into your writing versus the time that you spent, you know, doing whatever else you did. Um, but we're not talking about a lot of time. I mean, it, it's like, if you're consistent, it'll add up. So. Yeah. Right on, man. Well, I appreciate your time. Um, yeah. you know, everybody's been asking about you. Uh, yeah, yeah. So Say hi to everybody. Yeah. I, I, I miss being there, man. It, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's one of the hardest parts of, uh, about this year. It's been exciting though. I mean, it, you know, Washington's great, but yeah, I miss the jujitsu. I miss the gym. Well, uh, tell tell Stella that we said hello, and Andrew yeah. too. Yeah. She but, was here too, man. <laughs> I heard. I think I heard her clicking around. Yeah, yeah exactly. Excellent. I will, man. Yeah. All right. We'll have a good one, man. All right. I will. We'll see Later. you, sir. Bye.